Welcome to another special edition of the ACG Analytics Podcast. This is David Metzner, Managing Partner. We are continuing our podcast series from home during the coronavirus pandemic. As a result of the following is a lightly edited version of a policy call we have already held. We will now proceed with the podcast. This is David Metzner. Welcome to ACG Analytics Weekly Macro Call. Hosting this week's call and leading the discussion is Chris Serwinski, our lead international analyst. Also on the call is our head of research, John East. Lots going on in the macro space, questions of stimulus, debates, the next presidential election, which is less than a month away. With those macro events in mind, I turn it over to Chris Serwinski. Chris. Thanks, David, and thanks, everybody, for joining. I feel like the best place to start, even if it's just a quick 30-second roundup, John, is the vice presidential debate last night. We put out a note after the presidential debate saying that they don't really impact the race one way or another. I'm assuming that if you feel that way about the presidential debate, then the vice presidential debate is even less impactful. Morning. Well, I think that's largely true. I do think that what debates can do is if you fall on your face. You know, if Trump had keeled over because of coronavirus, you know, if Vice President Biden had sat there stuttering in a daze for 20 minutes or something, that would be one thing. Last night, I thought that both Senator Harris and Vice President Pence looked like that they were ready to assume the presidency. People can debate who won, who lost, but neither of them did badly. I thought they acquitted themselves well, and so I don't think it affects the current trajectory of the race. You know, the two issues that I see uh, people on the right pointing to here as mistakes, continued mistakes, really, from the Biden-Harris campaign are the questions related to packing the court, the Supreme Court, and related to the Green New Deal. And last night, she added fracking to that list of something that she previously had said that she would support banning, and currently they will not. Do you think that in omittance of any serious response on those two issues, setting aside any similar mistakes or omittances from the Republican side, does that impact at all some of these swing voters? Well, I do think the ghost in the room during a large part of those discussions was Pennsylvania. And at one point, Vice President Pence even said that ISIS had taken over an area of land the size of Pennsylvania. So you mentioned Pennsylvania by name. The Biden-Harris campaign has been a bit dodgy on some of their positions. So that is a concern to some voters. But I think it's those issues are already well vetted on the Republican side. And we're now chasing over the last 2% of swing voters where they can be found. I don't know that this is how you get to them in terms of having viewers watch the debate. But those comments do lend themselves to an attack ad if the White House or a third-party group were to decide to go ahead and air a series of clips on the varying positions on fracking that both Biden and Harris have taken over the last year, year and a half. I mean, it could be a powerful attack ad in Pennsylvania and maybe Ohio and some other places. Considering since we last spoke on you know, Thursday of last week, the polls have widened even further, increasing Biden's lead over the president. And some of these polls are you know, demonstrating that lead increasing in, in crucial swing states. Obviously, a lot of attention is paid to these national polls. And you know, for many reasons, we tend to look more at you know, state polls and look at it and combine those on an aggregate scale to influence our view. But looking at those numbers, and I know that we're not updating our odds on Trump winning day to day. But just looking at that 
and looking at the debate performances now with three and a half weeks to go until the election, do you think that the president stands in a better or worse position from seven days ago? That's a good question. I think it looks like he is in a marginally worse position if you look at national polls. I don't know how many swing voters are watching the news cycle the way we are, and there are more targeted ways of getting to them, including like a ground game. You can run an attack ad all you want, but ads on television or on radio are not necessarily the best way to reach voters. I do think that the Trump campaign has a superior ground game, which is very unusual position for Republicans to be in. If you look at polls at this time in 2016, I think the president is roughly even where he was uh, vis-a-vis Secretary of State Clinton. But I do also believe there's voter fatigue, and the president really has to turn out every single person who voted for him last time, and then some. Quite frankly, I don't know if the president will be able to do that. This is really, I think, the big mistake in terms of the White House, in addition to mixed messaging, is that this election is a referendum on Trump. I wanted to write a piece called Trump versus Trump, because while you see a lot of voter intensity for Trump on the Republican side, you see a lot of voter intensity, not for Biden and Harris, but against President Trump on the Democratic side. This really needs to be a choice about what you want the future to be, as opposed to a referendum on the past. And if you look at President Trump's Twitter feed yesterday and in the last several days, he keeps talking about Russian collusion and prosecuting Hillary Clinton. It's very backwards looking. I never think backwards looking works well in American politics. I think that's a good point, and it actually kind of leads into this next area that I wanted to discuss, which is COVID relief. Before we get to, you know, the status of that, just looking at Trump's Twitter feed, like you said, he unexpectedly pulled the rug out from negotiators several days ago. The markets obviously reacted quite quickly in your mind. Is there any rationale for doing that from an election standpoint? Like, is there any narrative that you can think of that pulling the rug from those talks benefits him in November? I don't. I mean, there, there may be some idea at the White House that this would impel Democrats to come back to the negotiating table in a different way because Democrats were pretty insistent on not lowering their $2.2 trillion number, which was too much for the White House and certainly half of the Senate Republican caucus. I don't think it's going to work. There are talks, though yesterday and today between Secretary Mnuchin and Speaker Pelosi. We've been down this road before, and if you're Speaker Pelosi and you think you can have a deal with Secretary Mnuchin, but you're not really sure that he has the authority to craft the deal because the president will just pull the rug out from under him, I think you're still in a bad spot. So yesterday, Mnuchin spoke with Pelosi and said, well, what about targeted airline relief? And Pelosi's spokesman, in characterizing the conversation, said that maybe Mnuchin should see what happened Friday when Republicans objected to a unanimous consent agreement to pass a simple airline relief bill. She said that Mnuchin should review that so that he can come back to her and have an informed conversation. And I thought that was quite a piquant response. Maybe it can happen, but Pelosi has not wanted to cleave very much out of a larger pandemic relief bill because they're afraid, and rightly so, that then Republicans won't come back to the negotiating table because Republicans will pass what they feel like passing and then Democrats will lose leverage. 
whether you agree with the size of the Democratic bill or not or all the things in it, I think that's absolutely true point of view. So, I mean, if that's the rationale, though, and Democrats are worried that then Republicans won't come back to the negotiating table because they passed something now, you know, a couple of things to push back on that would be that if they're just targeting, let's say, additional paycheck protection program, PPP money, and maybe something for the airlines, you know, that's like $150 billion max compared to still even Republicans in the Senate, their bottom line number was was several hundred billion dollars more than that. So my first point would be that if that's your worry, then just don't pass too big of a bill and make it very pointed if you're the Democrats. And two would be that at the end does not benefit President Trump not getting a deal in a small package would benefit him, sure, in the election, but not to the same degree that a large package would. Why not do the smaller package now? And then, assuming that the Senate flips or that the Democrats take the White House, come back and do a much, much bigger bill in January. I think Democrats will want to do a bigger bill at some point in the future. Now, technically, what is being talked about in addition to airline relief, which is the PPP money, is not new money. That is money that was already appropriated but not drawn down because the expiration for getting the loans from that facility expired. So that is something that could be done. But you would have to have Pelosi decide to call the House back into session. And it's not clear what the Republicans in the Senate will do. And it's a really big problem in these negotiations that Senator McConnell is not there. Uh, he has a divided caucus, doesn't want to divide it right before the election. And he's also running for re-election. So I have a pretty dim view on whether this could work. But I will say we and we have said that if you see people talking, that's an optimistic sign. So I probably would increase my chances for a smaller package happening, but we've been down this road. I don't see any change, real change in the dynamic. Yeah, okay. And so, you know, remaining pessimistic and cautious is where we've been for the last several weeks. And so, yeah, I agree with you that there's absolutely no need to flip and say that we're above 50% on a small package. But considering what you just said, John, what would you put the odds at having some sort of small targeted package before the presidential election? Well, on Tuesday, we said 10%. I might say 20% now that the talks have gone on for two days. So I would raise it. That would put it on the same level is having a larger package, which I think is a lot more palatable to Democrats, and certainly these two provisions could be tacked on. I thought Secretary Mnuchin had a very creative idea. I was never quite sure of the mechanics of it with the so-called escalator clause that would have passed a bill with the Republican numbers, but put in place some type of coronavirus metric that would allow spending to come out the door to reach the Democrats' level if certain unknown coronavirus metrics are met. That seems to have disappeared from the discussion. Considering that these renewed talks on whatever they're looking at now in the small package have been going on for two to three days now, and Mnuchin and Pelosi are expected to speak today, obviously Trump unexpectedly stopped the larger negotiations. We could not have predicted, you know, a timeline for when that would have happened. Are there any indicators for you that we should be looking at in the next week or so that are going to say and make it very clear to us, yes, they're going to move forward with a small deal or that, no, these talks are going nowhere? You know, Mnuchin and Pelosi are still speaking every day. Is that a positive sign in that they're still speaking or is it a negative sign in that they're still speaking and they haven't reached an agreement? 
No, it's always positive that they're speaking. That is always positive. And we've, we've actually had a pretty dysfunctional government where the leadership of both parties and the White House have been unable to meet in the same room, unable to speak to one another. You really can't run the government very well like that. So speaking is always positive, even if it takes longer than it should. One negative would be a tweet. And I remember before there was public policy by tweet. That's always a negative if the tweet is negative. And another negative would be Senator McConnell saying something that the Senate's not ready for. And I certainly know that given a choice between pandemic relief and confirming a new Supreme Court justice, that the Senate majority leader is going to choose to confirm a new Supreme Court justice. And there's just not a whole lot of time between now and Election Day. I would just add there's this idea that President Trump can appropriate money to send some type of relief checks similar to the $1,200 checks that went out. It's not clear what pot of money really exists to do that. There may be some money at Treasury. is probably unconstitutional. But then you dare Democrats or someone who has standing, and it's not clear that House Democrats would, they probably do, though, to sue you and prevent relief checks from going out to Americans. That's an idea that's being floated. I don't know that that's actually going to happen, but it has been talked about. Okay. So with with all of that in mind now, just to summarize our view, we we still think that the odds of either a larger bill or of a small targeted bill are around 20% each in each of those independent scenarios, and that we remain relatively pessimistic. Obviously, the percentage says that, but just the fact that people are speaking for us is, is a positive sign. But if you continue to be caught up over the same issues and you're banging your head against the wall despite speaking, we'd be looking for tangible progress in, uh, on some of these issues. And, you know, President Trump getting on Fox and Friends this morning to talk about it and, and say that COVID talks are going well does not necessarily change it in our view because we need to see concrete progress. Well, I think that that covers everything for us today. We've, we've mainly focused in D.C. I think that that's relevant right now considering that the election is three and a half weeks away. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. I'd also like to thank our team of analysts for offering their unique insights. You can also follow us on Twitter for further insight into capital markets and the political economy. If you wish to reach out for more information, please email us at research at acg-analytics.com. Everyone have a good day. Thank you very much.